Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Yeah, we're continuing a series that we've started recently uh, called In the City and For the City. And like the title suggests, in a time when, man, particularly this city, uh, is, is going through a lot, um, there's a lot that is difficult about life here. As a Christian community, we want to be a people who um, are actually thinking beyond our own lives and are looking to, in simple, achievable ways, to, with our lips and our lives, to communicate something of the kindness and the goodness of Jesus. We want to be, like, actually here in our hearts and in our minds, rooted and established in this city, in our neighbourhoods, and communicating... Honestly, to a city that in many ways, when, you hear the, when they hear the word Christian, most people in the city will think, oh, judgment, uh, moralism, you know, a whole load of things that are quite um, difficult. We are wanting to be a people who actually say, no, if we're called to love our neighbour, which is called the royal law, what does that look like? What does it actually look like for us, despite busy lives, to be those who, who love and communicate and serve our neighbours, our friends, our work colleagues. And I think we've been thinking about this fact that there's, for all of us, I think, a tension, right? You think, number one, yes, Tom, uh, I, I can see it in the Bible, <laughs> I can't argue with you, but the reality of life on planet X, my life, is I am so busy and so tired and just honestly kind of overwhelmed um, I feel this tension because I want to be like that and I want to do that but I also feel I, I feel overwhelmed I feel like I don't know where to begin you know I'm not bold I feel nervous about following Jesus and defending it to others particularly in San Francisco <laughs> and I think any I think most of us feel this tension of like I, I do see it as biblical but Tom right now life is so turbulent this is not the time to talk about mission right well the problem is is like kind of life is always kind of like that to some degree. And in Luke 10, what I love is that Jesus, he talks to his followers about being in the city and for the city, loving your neighbor, being, being those who are thinking about how can I express love one person at a time. But what's amazing, the feel of Luke chapter 10 is it's so kind. Say kind. Say, can you say kind? Sorry, the mask in my English accent is not a good combo. There's a kindness to this chapter that is really wonderful. There's a kind of um, a gentleness with which he leads these disciples into following him in loving the city and being in the city that is so freeing. And uh, we looked uh, last time we were here two weeks ago at this first ingredient that we see here, which is to be a people who pray. How do we actually be those who, who love 
the city that we're in. The first thing that we looked at two weeks ago was the need to pray earnestly, as it says here. Pray earnestly. Like, to state the obvious, you cannot do this, we won't be able to do this, we won't be fruitful in doing this without having a heart that's dependent on a God who can do all things, where we are so limited. And it's such an important theme, this idea of prayer. We're actually spending this week as well, kind of prayer part two. But buckle up, because the verse I want us to look at in this passage where he's talking to a a bunch of disciples, 72 of them, he says these verses here, or this one verse, these words, in verse 9, he says this. Heal the sick who are there. Oh, goodness. Uh, (laughs) Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So today, I want us to look at another aspect of prayer. This time, not so much um, praying, as it were, for our own nourishment, but this command of Jesus that the church of Jesus should be a people who pray for the sick to be healed and regularly see people healed. Now, I know as you hear that, you're probably thinking, oh my goodness, I was already thinking, Tom, I, a series on mission is not, you know, it's not what I need. I need to, let alone praying for those who are sick, that's even more terrifying and intimidating. But I want to, I want to point out two keys here that we see in this one verse that are so helpful in terms of helping us to be a people who can actually do this. Number one, we notice here that it's a command. It's a command. And number two, there's this key of the kingdom. These two elements that are hugely helpful in empowering us to be a people who do actually start to take some steps in praying for those who are sick and seeing them healed. Quick show of hands, has anyone here ever prayed for someone who was sick in some way? Anyone here had a go at that? Okay, nearly everyone. Anyone here ever seen what seems to be some kind of improvement in them? Okay, so that's just an interesting, an interesting show of hands that most of us have at some point basically done what he's saying. And most of us, you know, have seen what seems to be some kind of improvement. So, so let's look at these two elements here and then we're going to pray. We're going to pray for anyone here who's sick, so if you are sick in any way, any way, we want to pray for you. Or you might have a friend who's not here. Just be thinking, we're going to pray for them as well. Um, I know many people who are sick. And, and I just want to say, you know, sickness is a broad category. So it's not just the most obvious physical sick. There's mental health. There's a whole category of sickness here. Just to state the obvious that we're thinking of here. So first of all then... There are two key, two things we're going to look at. First of all, I want us to notice in verse 9, the first half, he says, Heal the sick who are there. When you enter a town and you're welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Sounds good. And then heal the sick who are there. So the first thing I want us to notice, which is really simple, but is really profound, is this is a command. Jesus says, heal the sick. He doesn't suggest it. He doesn't say if, you're, you know, if you've got time. There is an authority to the feel of what he's saying here. I want to just double click on for a moment. I want to point our attention to that. How do you like being told what to do? 
in the land of the free. <laughs> Not to get provoking, however, most of us don't like being told what to do. We like the idea that church is a family, and it is. The church is also known as an army. One of the major metaphors you also see in the Bible is that the people of God are an army. We're a nation, we're a people, and we have a kind friend, Jesus. He's also the Lord. Say the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the King. Not to get even more controversial, we'll get there in a minute. He is the Lord, and He tells His people to do something. And I just want, I just, I know that's really obvious, but I'm like, how much are you used to literally taking orders from someone? Like, this isn't a command. I'm not asking you to think about this. I'm not asking you to weigh this. I'm telling you to do it. That's the feel of what He's saying here. And there's two things that I think are really interesting about this command. Which is, when I look at this, number one, it seems to be the command is for all to be involved. All to be involved. And number two, the command seems to be that all sicknesses can potentially be healed. So this command has those two elements, I think, that all of us are to be involved and all sicknesses could potentially be healed. So first of all then, all to be involved. Why do I say this? Well, can anyone here tell me why it's significant that it's 72 that Jesus is talking to right now? Anyone here know why is that significant? Where else in the Bible does it talk about 72? Any ideas? I didn't know this until I looked it up, by the way, don't worry. But it is significant because what you see in the Old Testament, when Moses, who was the leader, the guy, the anointed super-duper leader man who did everything, there's a moment where actually he then has 70 elders, 70 leaders, and ultimately two others join in, so 72, who then have the spirit of him put on, on them. And what was like a one-man show becomes a team thing becomes an us thing. So the fact that Jesus here to these Jewish believers or these Jewish followers is saying he's calling 72 of them was very deliberate. He is communicating this is no longer just a me thing or even in the previous chapter he's, he's told the 12, the leaders, this is now your time to go and do this. He's now saying to the broad category, the 72, those who only go to church every so often, those who are not very committed, those who are just kind of on the edge. He's now saying, yes, guess what? All of you now are to do what I have been doing and what I asked the leaders to do recently. Now it is for all of you. So what this is saying is, I think, this is my, my belief, that the plan of Jesus Christ for the church is that every, say every, every, every man, woman and child who knows Jesus Christ is therefore invited and commanded into believing that God can actually use even them to do incredible things that you can't explain logically and rationally. There's this, you see, in history, we like to read about men and women who have been, like these individual superstars that God anoints and they just, people line up and they're, and that one person praise like for thousands of people to be healed and that's great there's a gift of healing that is specific for individuals but i want us to see here this command that jesus gives is for all his church i love that i love the inclusivity of what we're seeing here 
I mean, just think about this. You know, in a, in a time where, rightly, people are very bothered about their rights and equality and things being equal, the God of the universe is saying, I'm giving every Christ follower, even if you've only just become a Christ follower, the authority and the command to potentially see extraordinary and completely miraculous things happen simply by you praying for the sick. I mean, that, that thrills my heart. And I, man, I want to be in a church that is an oasis of faith in a city of cynicism. I hate rationalism. I hate it. Now, Christianity is rational. But rationalism, which is basically this, like strong rationalism in particular, this, this belief that everything has a rational explanation, is so, such a killer. Can I be strong? It's a cancer on God's people. It erodes our faith. You cannot read this book with any intelligence and say, I followed the God of this book and, and therefore think that Christianity is some rational set of prepositions that you just follow, like a philosophy. It's about a supernatural God who parts Red Seas and makes donkeys talk and sends angels all the time, who busts open prisons and raises the dead. That, if you're a Christ follower, that is our God. The lack of response is telling. Yes, I know we live in San Francisco with clever people. I'm from England, where everyone is so cynical and so rational and materialistic as well. And when I say materialistic, I mean materialism as the belief that you can measure everything in like material, empirical ways. And I love science. But I tell you guys, the Church of Jesus is way behind where we should be. We should be seeing these things. That's the, imp the implication when Jesus says, heal the sick, with no qualifier. To 72 people. This is God. He could have said, you guys, sometimes pray for these specific things. He just says to all of the Christ followers, heal the sick. He doesn't actually even say pray for them. It's interesting that he's saying heal them. There's an authority he gives to his people that he died for. It's like a really big deal. Like the church of Jesus Christ, crazy as it sounds, can actually believe for sicknesses to be healed because Jesus died on a cross in agony and rose from the dead. He didn't just die for our sins, although he did. He also died that we would one day have renewed and redeemed bodies and that we will live on a resurrected earth with a resurrected Jesus in resurrected bodies. That is the gospel. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we're saying, let's have a blob of that heaven, of that new world, right now in this place. And you've told us to do it. Man, guys, come on. This is like important. In Nazareth, it's said Jesus could not do many miracles because of their lack of faith. So if you don't believe him, you are affecting how much Jesus can do. It's shocking, but it's true. And I want it said over our church that when we get to heaven, the, he the, he the angels are like, welcome, Sanctarian, whatever our name would be. We could, Jesus could do many miracles in that community. That's what, that's what I want him to say over us. And I believe that's God's heart, is that we would be a people who actually see amazing things happen. And I believe it because I am quite, I'm not old, but I'm not young, I'm middle-aged, and I have seen repeated miracles and healings with my own eyeballs, with normal people who have had awful sicknesses dramatically healed. And normal people have prayed for them, and they don't always get well, they often don't get well, but sometimes incredible things happen through the prayers of his people. It's just true. I want to say this, Alan, most of you know Alan, who's part of our community. He's, he would not say he's a Christian. He's a genius. 
he really is. He's one of the clever men I've ever met. He lives in, o in Oakland. And he doesn't mind me saying this. I asked him for permission. He spent 30 years in a Hindu, in a Hindu cult. And he said, I saw hundreds of extraordinary healings and miracles. The guru was just able to use incredible power. He said, the thing I love about Christianity is the gospel, the story you have, makes sense of this world in a way that Hinduism doesn't. He said, what I would say, though, is I don't associate Christians with power. I've seen, and he's a very intelligent, rational guy, but he's like, the idea that we can explain everything rationally is preposterous. It's just, it's, I mean, and actually most people in San Francisco are in some way spiritual. They would expect supernatural things to happen. But tragically, the church, in my opinion, is like lagging behind even non-Christians. Who are like, well, we don't understand it, but if you pray for people, people get healed. And Christians are like, oh, I never do it. I know for me, there's so many things that hold me back. And actually, uh, an ex-Hindu atheist is saying, oh, no, you should probably believe that there's far more things can happen. That's not what I associate. I find that so provoking. Amen? Yeah. I find it like, oh my, thank you for Alan. Thank, I wanted to cry when he said that last week. I was like, I'm so grateful you're in my life and you're giving me a, a, a better perspective. Um, I remember a friend of mine called Natasha. She was born with something called bicuspid aortic valve, which is a very bad heart condition. Some of you who are medical might know what it is. And um, we've actually got a slide here. This is her medical report. Aortic valve, appearance of bicuspid aortic valve. So this is her actual medical report from England. And for years she had this, and it meant that you have shortness of breath, really bad chest pains. The only solution she could have was going to be a full heart transplant, okay? One day, a guy called Mike, <laughs> a very normal bloke in England, at the end of the church service in Canterbury where we were, he said, can I pray for you? He prayed for her. That week, she felt different. She like instantly could feel that something was different. The pain had gone, the shortness of breath. She was like, this is strange. So she went back to her doctor, who she'd been going to for years, and he did another CT scan or whatever it is, a scan of her, of her heart. And to her absolute astonishment, Tim, next one. <laughs> can you see that? Normal. Normal. The entire valve had changed shape there was no it was no longer in any way uh you know whatever it was that didn't mean it worked and since that time she has been completely and utterly normal a normal person praying for someone with a lifetime heart congenital situation was genuinely apparently completely healed on a sunday morning in a rainy english town i find that amazing i remember when a guy called graham burns who was a businessman in Canterbury, and he came to faith quite late in his life. Well, not late, but like in his middle years. And uh, he'd been a Christian about a year. So he was kind of young in the faith, but he had heard, he knew as a church that we believed that God can heal. And one night he was in, in, in his bed with his wife, Monica, and he was asking her some questions and she just wasn't replying. <laughs> and he looked at her and she was having a massive seizure. And she was having a huge stroke. So they rushed her to the hospital and the doctor said, I'm so sorry, your wife, who's in her mid-40s, she's had a terrible stroke. It's very likely she's going to pass away tonight. And if she does come through, you just need to be, be you know, prepared. She will have severe brain damage. You need to go home and tell your kids. So Graham drives home, 
goes back to his house. He can't tell his, he can't tell his kids, he's too distraught. And he goes into his garden in the middle of the night on his knees and he just cries out to God and says, God, if, you, if you're real, I'm asking you to heal my wife, Monica. He gets back in his car and he drives to the hospital. And as he walks into the, into the room, the doctors run over to him and say, you'll never believe it. Well, after you left, we gave her this little tablet that we give everyone who's had a stroke, but it it's, it's often doesn't have any impact. And it normally takes a day or two for any kind of improvement, but the very best, it was just gonna mildly help her. He said, an hour after you left, she totally woke up. She's talking completely normally. There is absolutely no sign that she even ever had a stroke. She is totally fine. And he went in and she was like, hello, darling. And he just came that Sunday, this guy, him and his wife. And obviously they were just undone with a sense of joy. God can use normal people who, who have just come to faith to do incredible things. So the command is for all. Say all. But I also think here, the fact that Jesus doesn't qualify what type of sickness is, we have to conclude that this does also mean that all sicknesses can also potentially be healed. It says in uh, Mark chapter 9, Jesus says, um, all things are possible for those who believe. The words of Jesus, all things are possible for those who believe. Now, I do want to say this. I, I never want to be someone who's in If someone's sick... Man, I never want to be someone who's like ramming it down their throat, okay? To state the obvious. We need to respect people's own consciences. And obviously the Bible tells us that there is a time for us to die. Um, and even people who get healed will at some point die. However, to state the obvious, so much of Jesus' ministry was healing the sick. I mean, just to state, like a child could see that, like a huge part of what he did to demonstrate the reality of God was praying for people to be healed. And he didn't just die on the cross for our sin, which is our spiritual sickness. He actually, I believe, it says in Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed, that we are not just healed of our sin, but there is the possibility of healing of our bodies as a taste of what one day fully will happen. When we, when we, the Bible says that we will be raised to newness with Jesus and we'll have new bodies. So it actually makes a lot of sort of logical sense. If you believe the end game, if you believe the end game is we're going to float off and be with Jesus in heaven, you're not going to think this is very likely or possible. But if you think the end game is that we're going to live on a resurrected earth with resurrected physical bodies with a resurrected Christ, i.e. reality will be physical, and Jesus loves this earth, and he hasn't given up on this earth, and he's coming back, if that's the gospel, then of course we go, well, Jesus, you care about bodies now. And so we can, with faith, we can actually kind of confront really big sicknesses as well as even small things. And I love this. The point of this is to free us, can I say this, to just kind of have a go. You don't have to overthink it. I don't have to overthink it. It's like, Tom, why don't you develop a good habit of whenever you hear, and let me just broaden it, not even just sickness, anything that feels impossible. Some of you are facing job interviews, questions of guidance, just things that feel like a wall. Why don't we just develop this habit of like, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that wall to come down. Like if we're able to literally ask for bodies to be healed, 
that fills me with faith that we can again and again say, God, I don't understand it, it's not rational, but you are the God of so much more and you are able to, to bring to life things that seem dead. And even as I'm saying this, I bet there's things that God is just putting in your mind, in your heart. Those things that feel like heavy or hard or just kind of like you're carrying on your own. And he's saying, hey, guess what, son? Hey, guess what, daughter? You don't have to carry that on your own. You can, I say to my kids often, I'm like, what are you carrying that's heavy? And I, and I say, imagine a big bowling ball, okay? So let's just think about your bowling balls right now. It might be sickness, but it could be something else. And I say, hey, we get, by grace, to give that bowling ball to Jesus through prayer. And we say, Jesus, would you do this? Would you, would you solve this thing? And then in exchange, he gives us like a little volleyball. He gives us like a light yoke. As we say again and again, Jesus, take this off me. Jesus, when he says, heal the sick, he is saying, friends, all things are possible for those who believe. It may not happen. It may not happen. But it may happen. And I truly do believe that God loves to do this. I remember a couple in our church called Dave and Teresa Greenfield. I've got the video of this. I was going to show it, but it's too long. <clears throat> They've been in our church since the beginning. They were in their late 40s. And she, a few years ago, discovered that she had a massive, aggressive uh, sarcoma, which is a malignant type of aggressive cancer, the size of a soccer ball in her uterus. She was in her mid-40s. And uh, she'd, she'd felt this mass. She went to the hospital. They did a scan and they said, I'm so sorry, but you can tell with cancer whether it's benign, which is, means non-dangerous, or if it's bad, if it's malignant, it literally is spiky. It has like a spiky shape and it's, it's like a weird shape to it. So there, there's no doubt you have a, what's called a sarcoma, an aggressive type of malignant cancer in your uterus. The prognosis is bad. It's likely you will die. So we're gonna have to book you in for a hysterectomy immediately to completely remove everything and your lymph nodes. And we'll then be able to test as well how far it's spread. So she went into shock, obviously, I remember her telling me this. Mid-40s, okay? She wasn't an old, mid-40s. And we had about three weeks till the operation, so her small group started to pray. We started to pray on Sundays afterwards. We were praying for her. The week leading up to the operation, she said something shifted where she suddenly felt this remarkable peace. And this, like, prayer refrain, which was, God, would you surprise the surgeons when they open me up? Anyway, she goes in for the six-hour operation, after an hour, they're finished. She comes to, and the doctor comes over, he kind of uh, jogs over to her bed, beaming with smiles, says, you're never gonna believe it. We opened you up, the cancer has totally changed shape. It is now no longer a malignant sarcoma. It's literally what's a benign cancer. There's no danger to it at all. It's like a spherical, smooth mass. We removed it, there's no trace of it anywhere in your body. And they tested the cancer when they got it out and it wasn't a malignant cancer. They completely, it was amazing. And, and uh, her husband said to him, how, how possibly can, can this have happened? How can it have changed shape? Because they'd had it doubly verified. They'd also had it verified by the Royal Marsden in London, who also said, there's no doubt, this is a malignant sarcoma. And he just said, I can't explain it, but you are totally cancer free. So again, when we were just like rejoicing Obviously, 
that God had apparently completely and amazingly radically um, healed this woman. So all, all sicknesses, I believe, are up for prayer. I really believe that. You, do you believe me? Are you, do you think this is scriptural? Yeah. yeah. Do you think that what I'm saying are accurate stories from my own life? Yeah. We mix it with faith and we should say, Lord, I know there's another voice in all of our heads of, what about this? What about that? What about that? It's always there. And that is why, actually, we choose to believe in faith. But there's a second thing here. And with this we'll finish. He also says these words, Say to them, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. Now, to a Jew hearing this, the kingdom of heaven would have been a phrase that would have just exploded with, with meaning and joy. And notice that it's a kingdom, okay? To state the obvious, a king or a queen of a land, their influence has a huge impact for good or for bad. Now, talking to, <laughs> talking to Americans, uh, you know, taxation without representation. You understand that, right? You're like, yes, we, our ancestors, tasted a bad king. Boo, I get it. Um, you know, if you go to North Korea, King Yong is like a terrible king, and there's a, te- there's, a, there's a terror that people feel in North Korea under the influence of a really bad king. But what Jesus is saying is here, he's like, I want you not just to see people healed, but for them to understand, as great as that healing is, it's actually a signpost to something else. It's actually a signpost, it's a message, not just about getting the job done, someone being healed, but that they would somehow realise that there is a king who is kind and loving and real. And his reign, the reign of Jesus, is not like the reign of any human king. The reign of Jesus is a reign of kindness and goodness and joy and love and mercy. And the fact that this person's been healed, it's like, you know, it's, like a, it's got like a little love note with love from Jesus. It's like, this has come from a person who wants your body healed, but even more than that, he wants you to know he loves you and he's for you. He's like, I, I don't just want healing, I want you to understand that this message of the kingdom, of a coming king, that that is Christ followers, we believe there is a coming king to this earth and he is good and kind and merciful and when you come under his kingdom, actually it's a wonderful thing. You come under the shade of this Christ and everything becomes wonderful. And there's two things here that I think are so powerful, but this will finish, about this kingdom. Is that number one, it means that we are secure. Say we are secure. We are so secure. And number two, is that we have authority. We have authority. So if you just think about this logically, if we're saying, praying for the sick, and the message that we bring is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, has come near to you through this activity... That, then what we're saying is not just that he is good and kind and wonderful and I want you to understand that your healed body or mind is a gift from a person, a king. It also means as those of us who are called to pray for our friends and our neighbours and our work colleagues to be healed, it actually means that you and I, our identity, is that we are part of this royal kingdom. But we are heirs. Now last time we looked at it, in this passage Jesus talks about identity and he says you're lambs which is a bit you know disappointing and he says you're laborers which again is you know it's true not very flattering but now you see the implication is he's saying you're 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 sons and daughters of a king you're kind of princes and princesses so your identity 
means that you are free to step out and to have a go and now you are secure because your deepest identity as a Christ follower, as someone under the Father who is a king, means that you can fail and your identity will never change. You can be rejected and your identity will never, will never change. Two of the biggest reasons we don't pray for the sick, certainly for me anyway, is fear of failure and fear of rejection. Because, I mean, you know, the stories I've told are Christians praying for Christians. This context is Christians praying for non-Christians, which is even more terrifying, Tom. I mean, how on earth do you do that? How on earth practically do you apply this, Tom? Well, one of the keys, if you work it through logically, is if, if we're saying there's a king coming, and I'm actually a son of the king, and I'm a daughter of the king, that means I'm kind of secure, which means I don't, I don't actually need the world's acceptance in quite the same way. I'm freer to be able to take a risk and to experience even some kind of rejection if people are like, no thanks you weirdo. Although I don't want that, I'm still in his kingdom. I'm still part of his royal family. So knowing your identity is so huge. Heidi Baker, many of you will know the name. She is an extraordinary woman of God. She's been in Mozambique for many years, the poorest country in the world. Before she went, many people said to her, I think you're going to have a particular ministry of praying for the sick, and particularly people who are blind, having uh, amazing recovery. And she went there, and she's someone who understands her identity deeply, and that she doesn't, she can take a risk, because she's not trying to, you know, hold on to acceptance of others as her true identity. And apparently she prayed for the first year without seeing a single person healed from blindness. <clears throat> and then a year in, almost to the day, in one day, she saw three people have their sight restored. Now the way that someone like Heidi or me or you has any chance of getting, overcoming... Anyone here brave enough to say, yeah, I, I, one of the reasons I don't pray for the sick, one of them, many reasons, is fear of failure or fear of rejection, right? I think it's so natural. But he's saying, if you think about this, you're not just doing this random act. You're actually part of a kingdom. You're, he is the king and you are part of his family. And when that starts to get into you, it's able to change you. It doesn't solve it instantly, but it enables you to be a bit more solid and secure that I can do this, even if it doesn't go well or this person doesn't respond well. But the final thing is this. The, the importance of being a people of the kingdom is this, is that we are also those who have authority. And I really, I mean, like, if you think about this, if you are, if Christians are those who bring the kingdom of God, the authority of God, this is huge because for so many of us, one of the reasons we don't pray for the sick is we just feel paralysed by the need. I mean, particularly living in San Francisco where there's so much obvious need I sometimes think, I don't even know where to begin. And I don't, so I don't do anything. I just kind of become, honestly, like I never pray for people to be, sit, to, to be healed. Whereas actually, when you think about this, if you are, a, you're representing a king, you actually have authority, one person at a time, to step out in praying for those who are in actual physical pain or mental pain. Let me put it this way, it's like, I don't want us to get to heaven 
and Jesus to be like, man, I love you, but what happened? <laughs> well, what happened? You had all these days and all these chances to be able to express my authority and you just didn't do it. I don't want that over my life. And that's not like a guilt thing, but it is like a fear of the Lord thing. You know, it's like, no, that's true. That's actually true. Like I have been given a gift. I mean, if this is true, I mean, it's mind blowing. You know, you think about if I gave you a million dollars, Robbie, to just go and bless your neighborhood, you'd be like, yes, I'm excited about this task. I have a million dollars and I can just bless people with it. Now, I haven't got a million dollars to give you, I'm afraid, but the idea that we as Christ, Christians, if this is true, we can genuinely, with mercy and kindness, see people in pain literally have a better life. That's an extraordinary responsibility as well as a privilege. I remember years ago watching this show called Grey's Anatomy. But Josie was into it and I, I watched it with her. And uh, there was, there was this, there's this bit in it where someone called Izzy, and I think she was a trainee doctor, she suddenly inherited eight and a half million dollars and she got the check through the post, through the mail. And she had it on her fridge for weeks. If any of you have seen this episode. And, and it's so frustrating. She's like, oh, I don't know what to do with it. I should, maybe I shouldn't have it. And you're just, I'm just like, cash the check. Fucking just like, get it in the bank. Don't just leave it floating around on your fridge. And eventually, Izzy, she puts it uh, in the bank. And the same day, an opportunity comes up for her to give it all away for the building of this children's hospital. And it's a beautiful moment. It's like, yes, fantastic. But it builds this tension because she has this check. It's like, it's right there. Just cash it. And, you know, it takes her a long time to do it, but she does. And I was just like, man, I don't want that written over my life. I don't want it to be like God was like, Tom, cash the check. Have a go. Step out. Get, build a habit where you're actually praying for people. So we are going to pray for people now. Um, we're going to have a chance to do this. One final thing, really practical, because I know it can feel like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. I think there's, I've got, I've got a little sort of run-up model that I've developed for myself that might be helpful to connect prayer and mission, okay? There's three, like, three little steps I found I can take. The, one, the first is the most easy, the second is slightly more challenging. The third one is the bravest, okay? First one is, I've been praying. If we, the way I became a Christian was I was walking outside of a bar. There was a girl I knew, vaguely. I said, oh, you've been, having a, you've been out for a drink? And she said, no, I've been praying. In front of like hundreds of people coming out of this British pub. And I was like, what? On a Saturday night, don't, what, you weirdo? Why are you talking about prayer? Now, those three words... God used. All she said was, I've been praying. Innocent. And most people in, in, this, in this city pray to some degree, even if they're not Christians. Prayer is not offensive to most people. The church is offensive. Honestly, Jesus can be offensive. But saying prayer is intriguing. I want to say one of the things I do, practical things to develop is walking around my neighborhood praying, just in my head. <laughs> and if you get talking to someone, I found this uh, often is that you'll end up in conversation they'll be like oh you're just out you know walking the dog or whatever and it's so much easier to be like yeah I was walking out walking the dog and having a little pray and just to pop it in there just throw it in and often people are intrigued and or they can reject that weird comment that you just said or it's enough to help them ask a little bit about oh prayer that's interesting so that's the lowest that's the easiest one we can all start to do 
is to think in my normal life can I can I bring that in at some point you can be in the workplace and you had a lunch break and oh, I noticed you walking yeah I'm, I'm trying a little pray just bringing in the word prayer secondarily someone says something to us in our workplace or in our neighborhood and it's like it's a challenge there's something bad happening and we can say I will pray again I've never ever had anyone get angry if I've said that I've never had it maybe they are in their heads but I think there's something about a free offer oh, I'll pray for you for that it might you know it might not always be well received but it's it's something that I think can kind of warm us up to thinking beyond ourselves and taking a step that isn't terrifying but is meaningful the third one present tense can I pray for you now that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here right that's the actual like I would like to pray for you right now in this moment but even that is possible I'll never forget a, a mailman came to our house in England and <laughs> for some reason he had very short shorts on like almost like hot pants I'll never forget that and he came to the door with a box I was like oh thanks thanks mate and he put it down he's like all right and he was doing this I was like oh you're all right and he was like oh I've just got a really bad knee and he's, there was something he'd done to it and I found myself saying can I pray for you and amazingly he was like uh all right and I was like, can I, can I put my hand on your thigh? Because <laughs> that's where it was hurting, or like you're on your knee. And he's like, okay. And I prayed for him and nothing happened. But he was okay with it, you know? And this is some like cynical British postman in hot pants. Let me pray for him. So I guess I'm just, I'm just wanting to say like, this doesn't have to be all or nothing. There are things that we can do to step out. So I've talked long enough. Is anyone here, is anyone here sick at the moment? Anything that we can pray for?